0: When Ilsa shakes snow from her ruff, the thing leaves her jaws to skitter across the linoleum. At the sink with her back to the dog, Meg scrapes egg from a pan and idly wonders if she's being delivered another frozen bone. When it rolls to a stop near her slipper, she sees. There is no mistaking it, snow-crusted as it is. Real? Meg squeals, answering the question. She vaults back, her own hand meeting her mouth as if ziplined. Her next words gurgle into her palm, but when she swivels to where Ilsa sits, her voice is clear. Bad, bad dog! Pivoting to the dark window, she gasps at her reflection. On the other side of the glass, the first storm of the season has already dropped eight inches, and it's still coming down. Meg inhales and exhales in sync with gusts of corn snow blasting the window, hoping that upon turning back she'll see she's utterly, ridiculously mistaken. Her kitchen had once been the bar and lounge of Naledi Lodge. Besides this building, little suggests the place was ever a thriving resort. A pair of dry gas pumps lean like drunks near the dock, and pilings poke blindly through the ice as if groping for the vanished boathouse. All but two of the little cabins have been raised. Little Hatchet is a glacial lake, shaped, as you might expect, poised as if chopping down from Ontario, with the town of Hatchet Inlet stuck to its blade. Naledi sits at the northernmost point, near the frozen handle. There are two seasons on Little Hatchet, blistering blackfly summers, and long winters with short days that dawn cold, colder, and, as the hand thawing on Meg's floor mutely suggests, life-threatening. Besides a boreal starkness some consider lovely, the area is unremarkable, save its record temperatures, most recently an axle snapping minus 60, the type of statistic that only provides fodder for grizzled locals who boast that the meek wouldn't want to inherit this bit of earth. Fetching her Sunday paper from Pavela's Diner the day before, Meg had watched the old boys mimic the latest hypothermia victim, a Chicago bond trader found on the wickawashie portage, speaking into a chunk of pine bark the size of an iPhone, as if calling for a quote. Wheezing with laughter and the gunk of camel straits, they put on such shows when tourists are within earshot, debating whether January is more dangerous than July, usually calling a draw. For there is peril year-round, here on the wrong side of the Laurentian Divide, where straight-line winds toss pine trunks onto sleeping campers like Scottish cabers, flash floods dissolve trails from under hikers' knobby soles, and drownings are so routine their mention might elicit a shrug. And since there is water, water everywhere— Canoeists go right ahead and drink, inviting parasites to rue their days from the inside out, when even the toddlers over at Cub Care Day Den know better, having been taught, along with the alphabet song, the rhyme about moose poop soup. Things that do not look dangerous are. Wide-eyed does nicked by cars have been known to kickbox through windshields, and while only two hunters have been fatally hooved, both were from Minneapolis, and perfect examples of why one might think twice before just showing up here. Linger over the wheat coffee at Pavala's, or the venison chow mein at the boondock on what Arno calls chink night, don't ask for chopsticks, and realize these natives are merely discouraging outsiders who might grow too fond of Hatchet Inlet, a place as grungy as the cabs of their pickups, and frayed as the collars of their Pendleton's. Miners and laborers who limped home from Korea and Nam to face union squabbles, strikes, and pit closures blanch at rumors of a new espresso bar or bookshop. Few of them blink at such local place names as Jap Island, Squaw Creek, Polak Swamp, or Krautville— leaving such gnashings to tourists who drive up in hybrids quilted in left-of-left bumper stickers wearing zip-off shorts and $30 quick-dry underpants.